Hi, my name is Takashi Williams, and in this podcast, I will be having a discussion with Precious Benali. Precious Benali is a member of the Diné Nation from northern New Mexico and serves as the Tribal Healing to Wellness Court Specialist with the Tribal Law and Policy Institute. She is also an alumna of Dartmouth College and Columbia Law School. In the podcast, we go in depth into not only her occupation, which she does as a lawyer, but also the depths of tribal law. What does it mean? How does it apply to people in Native communities? And overall, the injustices in Native communities pertaining to the justice system had in America. I hope you enjoy. To start off the podcast, I asked a simple question. Who are you, Precious Benelli, and what do you do? Everybody is really uh, familiar with the with just what consultants do, right? You consult on certain issues, and um, basically, I consult with tribes who have received uh, federal grants. Um, majority of the grants come from the Department of Justice, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, to um, enhance their justice systems, to implement uh, problem-solving programming within within their justice systems. So. I essentially consult with them on how on how to do do that. So I started at the Center for Court Innovation after graduating from Columbia Law, and um, basically have been helping um, tribes and our drug treatment courts across the country for the past six seven years do things better, do things. Um, uh, that are best practices um, that are backed by science and evidence and basically just taking and having tribes look at their existing resources and understanding um, what their capacity is and what they are capable of doing and how they can best use the grant funding that they received from the federal government to um, reach their goals. A lot of that is aimed at um, addressing certain issues uh, within their communities. A lot of that is substance use, um, mental health, um, uh, child welfare stuff. And all of that, I think, really boils down to making sure that people are getting the services that they need. If they need housing services, how do you implement services like housing? How do you implement food services into the justice system? How do you best work with those agencies? Because if you're in a justice system, typically you, especially big ones, like around here, it's really just like a meat market. You come in, you're just a number. Here's your problem. Here's your punishment. Get on out of here. But there are problem solving courts that are popping up in the past two decades that are like, all right, let's look at the underlying issues. A lot of that is housing instability. A lot of that is um, food insecurity. A lot of that is um, lack of education, lack of parenting skills, and above all, it's substance use issues. So let's address those issues and get the people what they need so that they can then um, uh, engage in more positive behaviors in better decision-making that isn't um, a result of just having a lack of services and having issues that have gone um, unaddressed for years. So that's what I try to do. And it really takes a lot of understanding 
stakeholders' needs, um, really understanding that prosecutors are looking for a certain thing. They have certain goals they want to reach. Um, the, the defense attorneys have certain goals um, and everybody else in between, making sure that everybody meshes well together, everybody that there's good, good compromises all around and your community is better off for it. So in a nutshell, that's, that's essentially what I do. Precious then goes on to explain the things that she does enjoy about her job and who it brings her closer to. Yeah. It's it's pretty it's pretty interesting because um, each community is different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And with and with tribal communities, why I like working with them first of all, living in um, Brooklyn and now New Jersey, I'm away from Native people all the time. So my job allows me to travel to different Native communities and meet people all the time. Well, at least before the pandemic. Um, also, just seeing how these communities are really doing great things. They are using their culture and their traditions to try to try to help their people and infusing that into a justice system that has been forced upon them, this westernized justice system. And we're trying to slowly break free of that and kind of indigenize it. So that's why I like it as I feel like tribes have a lot more creativity than, um, non-tribal courts, in my opinion. Precious then goes on to explain the distinction between tribal law versus federal law and the importance of that. If you were going to give someone who only has an understanding of federal law and explain what tribal law is, what would that be? What would that sort of explanation be? So we have to back up, right? Um, Native people are a conquered people. Native people have been put through the ringer um, in terms of colonization, assimilation. Um, So these systems that we view as like the law and you go on tribal lands, you see a court system, those have been imposed on us. Mm. This is, is, those are systems that tribes have implemented within their communities to appease um, white folks to be like, hey, we are we are a government. We know how to keep our people safe, but we need to show you outsiders, non-native people that we can do that. And the only way that you understand is through these court systems. Um, so this uh, before, I would say before the 80s, because I feel like in the 80s, it really made a big rapid change around with um, tribal court systems. It basically mimicked um, uh, just the Western systems. You had a judge, um, your government system typically looked the same. Um, There was, it's, this is called the um, Indian Reorganization Act. And I forget what year that was, but basically the government gave tribes the the option of enacting a boilerplate constitution to be like, hey, our nation is similar to the US government in that we have like a constitution, branches of government, um, we democratically elect our leaders. Some, most tribes uh, adopted the IRA um, constitutions, some tribes didn't. So that's why you have some tribes that are made up of um, councils 
Um, but you have people, you have tribes like the Navajo Nation. We do have a um, an executive, legislative, legislative, and judicial branches. Precious also explains the most recent changes in tribal law. City natives have the capacity to infuse those systems with our in indigenous worldviews, with our philosophy, with our understanding and our values, right? So we're no longer trying to mimic the non-native systems. We're trying to be like, we understand what our community is and how it functions and this is what we need. If we need things like a peacemaking court or traditional um, dispute resolution um, systems, then we're gonna implement that. In 2018, Precious did a podcast with Gloria Benali, the coordinator of the Navajo Peacemaking Program. In that podcast, they discussed the Navajo Fundamental Law. What is the Navajo Fundamental Law? Navajos have this philosophy, this worldview um, called Dene Bebehas Ani, and that's just the fundamental law. It's how we have woven our creation story our belief system of like the holy people, how we were created, how we came into this world, how we walk through this world. And we've sort of just developed this law that says just that. It's basically how do Navajos conduct themselves in our society um, in a way that is distinctly Navajo. Precious then explains the importance and need for tribes to make their own set of laws. There's decades and decades of Native people tried to show the federal government we are capable of governing ourselves. We're made up of lawyers, teachers, just professionals who have great minds. So just the way to show that is to codify our belief system in a way that um, the federal government can understand. And so we codified the um, fundamental law so that we could um, conduct our court sessions in a way that is distinctly Navajo and it reflects, reflects our values. She also explains how other tribes followed suit with their own set of laws. I would say that a lot of tribes have done that, whether it's in their tribal codes, um, in the way they govern. Um, so in much different ways, um, we all don't do it, do it the same. There's what, 567, 68 tribes. So many different ways of tribes infusing their philosophies and their outlooks into their governance and their government systems. Language is a key part of any culture. Precious explains the importance of the Navajoan language, not only to the people of the Navajoan tribe, but the well-being of them as well. Do you feel that there's a correlation between the well-being of the native community and their own language being had or being learned when dealing with systemic oppression and certain like issues outside of their community? Yeah, for sure. Um... So this is just my outlook on it. Um, when 
Navajos were rounded up and we were um, made to go on our long walk to Fort Sumner. Um, it's a period called Huelte. Basically our land was taken from us. Um, and all that we had was our language. It's how we talk to each other. It's so much a part of us, it houses our, like I said, our values and our thoughts. There's so many, there's ways to, and I'm pretty sure there's ways to, that people have described their own, um, their own languages, their own, their own mother tongues as doing this exact same thing. There's a way that you express yourself that is distinctly you, that is distinctly of, of your people. The only way to do that is through, through your own language. There's this concept called um, translated to English, it's very hard. Um, most people have to use several different words like beauty, harmony, um, balance. So all of that is contained in this word. Um, it's a state that we always strive to attain if we don't have don't have it already. Um, Navajo is being very practical people. Um, something that you can have. Um, it's something, it's this balancing. It's understanding that there is bad in the world, but also understanding that you infuse it with the good to balance the bad that happens. So that's that's how you get hujon. I have not encountered any other word that is the same as that in English and any other languages that I know. Um, and so it basically keeps, it keeps your teachings alive. It keeps these stories. Um, a lot of native folks have origin stories. Um, the way they're told in their traditional language is much different than the way it's told in English. And a lot of these stories and a lot of these, um, a lot of these stories have been lost because our language speakers have walked on and we get these stories either through passing them down or white anthropologists have come and, and recorded it. Um, but they're not recorded in the same, in like the way that it was intended when it was first given to them, right? One of the ways that happens is, so Navajos have this very humanistic view of things. They understand humans are fallible. They understand humans um, are nonsensical. They understand humans are sexual beings. So a lot of our stories to white missionaries and white anthropologists were very lewd and crass and overtly sexual. So when you had white people taking down these stories that were supposed to parallel the human experience, they watered them down. They infused it with their own outlook, their own values, right? So things that made sense before to Navajos, they were like overtly sexual or were really showed the nastier, grittier parts of being a human. Those were all taken out and you kind of get this Disney version of it, right? And you, and you kind of lose that feeling. So then when the stories you hear now, they aren't what, what they were before. And that's, I think, the power of, of language. Precious even goes on to explain that 
These languages are important to be had in judicial settings, especially in Native communities. So when you use Navajo in your legislature and you use Navajo um, when talking about certain laws and stuff, you know you're keeping the essence of your people there for 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 future generations to see and for the feeling to to get put across and to lose that is 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 devastating um we got a taste of what that could be when um uh when boarding schools were a fact of life um the colonizers knew how to destroy us, take away our culture, make us stop speaking our language. So without those two things, who are we as a people? Um, and one of the biggest fears about um, COVID-19 is that it's affecting our elders. And you see it with um, some of the uh, Native nations that only have a handful of fluent Native speakers that, that are really old. And these folks have um, passed and walked on because of COVID. She then goes on to explain how other tribes are also seeing the importance of languages in their own judicial systems. I see a lot of um, tribes I work with that apply for justice-related grants. They put in there, uh, we want a cultural liaison. We want somebody that we can hire to implement language programs for the participants in in our programs. So what we see um, for those folks that are struggling with substance use issues um, that are in and out of the justice system all the time, those are the ones that have lost contact or lost a connection with culture. So one of the ways that um, practitioners on the ground have seen is that if you start connecting them with their culture, start engaging them with activities, um, they start coming back. They start seeing um, better ways of better ways of being. Um, so that the whole like getting um, addressing your substance use needs through counseling through drug treatment courts is only just a small portion of what tribes have seen works. The other part is getting them connected to their community, their language, and their culture. It's infuriating to hear that the main causes of oppression against Native Americans are due to the federal government. What can the citizens do to help fight against these powers? So the easiest thing, in my opinion, is everybody has social media access to it. Um, just learn from indigenous creators. There's a lot of native run accounts on Instagram, on TikTok, vibrant native communities that are willing to educate and share um, to really break down those stereotypes. The fact that these negative stereotypes that we don't pay taxes, natives don't pay taxes, native get, get, get into schools for free. It's what generates a lot of animosity towards native folks is they think we get so much shit for free. And that is not the case. I pay way too much taxes. We all pay way too much taxes. We all pay for gas. We have to get scholarships and take loans out for school like everybody else. Um, there's just so many different things um, that folks can learn about what native communities look like and how native people live and how beautiful our communities are, right?
what a lot of folks know from, about Native communities are either from movies that are historically just really bad um, and that, that aren't told from the Native perspective, um, or they're just poverty porn, just really looks at the bad side um, of our communities. And that's not all we're about. We're, we're vibrant, we're beautiful people, so proud of where we come from and um, we try to make our ancestors proud. So, Precious then concludes by giving us some shows that we should keep an eye out for and also some closing remarks of her own. Um, a couple cool things on, on the pipeline. There's a um, native FX series called Reservoir Dogs or Reservation Dogs, sorry, Reservation Dogs, um, created by Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi. I think that'll be coming soon and just stuff like that just stuff created by native people are the most authentic and the best way to educate educate yourselves yeah well thank you so much but it was truly like a pleasure to just sit down and be able to talk to someone that knows as much as you do on this certain topic and a topic that i could see myself even getting involved with in the future and doing so I'm very thankful for that and for you sitting down with me and talking with me for this time. You're welcome. I really do appreciate it. And your questions were awesome. And it's really flattering that you've done so much, um, so much research on me, but also on this topic. So really, I really appreciate it. Um, I feel like it's always nice to have folks taking the initiative, you know, um, but also humbling themselves and asking, asking for help. So that's, that's what I'm most appreciative of, I guess, is the fact that you, you reached out. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I'd like to thank Precious again for coming on to the podcast and just sharing some of her uh, vast knowledge of the native culture with me personally. Uh, The issues that are happening in native communities aren't talked about nearly enough. So I would just say, For me personally, I'm going to stay informed and stay curious. And I hope that the listeners, people that are listening now do too. Thank you. Peace.